Real-Time Experience Podcast with your host, Jose Medina. The year is 2022, month of February, and the world has gone mad. Glad to be back here doing another podcast, a little series called The Truth About Law Enforcement. Uh, recent articles have been going out about certain training groups that are out there training police officers in the United States. Uh, some of these groups are kind of new, a few years in, but, but somehow they've got a lot of traction in social media and selling a lot of wares. And the media have been going after them simply for some of the dumb things that these groups are saying, uh, primarily talking about violating rights, uh, implying that in their training programs instead of just staying humble and doing the right thing. So for me, I wanted to sit back and say, okay, for few short segments here to say, okay, this is what really goes on behind police work, what the real deal is, how we train, what our philosophies are, the hit brief history to academy life, to inside what goes on police departments, good, bad, or indifferent. And then us, the, the body of work that we've done and, and accomplished through our careers to be able to go out there and train other people uh, only to see that some of these new, I call Wiley Coyote Acme training companies get out here and start running their mouth and teaching cops totally off the wall stuff. And it starts making us look bad. It's bad enough. We have politicians and the media twisting things around and vilifying cops and making us look like evil villains. Even though, like I said, I 20 years, I was 27 years. I retired successfully, but I did a lot of work as a police officer. And I know the ins and outs of everything. It doesn't have to be, LAPD, NYPD, because clearly those places are a mess as well. But again, body of work. So let's just get into it real quick. We'll read some stuff off here, and maybe you can have some enjoyment of what law enforcement is about for those who are listening in. And again, just a sidebar for those who come back to return to listen to us. Thank you for being supporters. And any new people, including media, that are checking us out. Um, hopefully, you get educated, whether you like the answers or not. All right. Um, so let's go from a small blog, uh, blog called "The Badge in the Wallet." Well, although the police are ever-present force in our lives, providing protection, enforcing the law, preventing crime, and maintaining order, the form they take today took hundreds of years to perfect. Nearly 400 years ago, the U.S. police force, as we know it, was merely in its infancy. Policing in Europe, however, has been around in some form since 3000 BC. Pretty cool. The word police comes from the ancient Greek word polis, meaning city. The first policing organization, however, began in about 3000 BC in Egypt. The pharaohs were in charge of appointing an official to oversee and enforce justice and security for each jurisdiction. This official was assisted by the area's tax collector. Ancient Greece also had a police force made up of Scythian slaves who were regulated by magistrates. Ancient Rome continued the practice of recruiting lower class citizens, sometimes, uh, let me open this up a little bit, sometimes with criminal past to be part of the police force. These teams of men were in charge of protecting the city, but prosecuting everyday crimes, even murder, was often left to be resolved between individuals. Emperor Augustus created three groups of police to protect Rome from crime and fire in 6 AD. 
These men were recruited from the Roman army. After the collapse of the Roman Empire in the 5th century, the uh, empire went back to the original model of law enforcement where the crimes were left to be dealt with by individuals. Uh, let's see here. In England, however, a new structure of police was, was being formed. In this model, groups of 100 men were responsible to enforce good conduct between each other while protecting the community. These groups were headed by uh, Shire Reeve. The role of Shire Reeve eventually developed in what we know today as the sheriff. By the late 13th century, the role of constable was created. Constables were responsible for overseeing the night watch and providing security. Some of my segments here. At this time, the investigation and prosecution of crimes was still left up to individuals. There we go. In 1285, the Statute of Winchester made enforcing the law a social, a social responsibility. Any person who didn't report or tried to stop a crime could be prosecuted. In 1361, the Justice of the Peace Act revoked public responsibility and placed it on the justices who were appointed by the monarch. Their responsibilities included police, judicial, and administrative duties. Law enforcement in England rested, mo uh, rested mostly, almost solely on the shoulders of justices, constables, and the night watch until the 19th century. 1631, Boston became the first U.S. city to establish a night watch. New Amsterdam, later New York City, soon followed suit in 1647 in the late 18th and 19th centuries. Regulators, vigilantes, became commonplace in many U.S. cities. Their role was to enforce order in areas where there was none. Interesting. It wasn't until 1829 that the Metropolitan Police Act was passed and the London Metropolitan Police Department was formed. The structure of the department was based on the military. This law enforcement model went on to influence police departments in Great Britain, the British Commonwealth, and the United States. In the middle of the 19th century, the U.S. laws were passed in order to regulate social behavior and penitentiaries, asylums, and official police forces were established. New York City was the first to have an official police department in 1844. The NYPD was based on the London Metropolitan Police Department model. Soon after, departments were established in New Orleans, Cincinnati in 1852, Boston, Philadelphia, 1854, Chicago, Milwaukee, 1855, Baltimore, and Newark. 1857. Authority over police was left to the neighborhoods and neighborhood leaders. Officers didn't uh, wear any uniforms, and the initial function of the police was to prevent crimes. Once this provided a very difficult task, one of their main purposes became investigating crimes that had already been committed. The first detective unit began in New York City, 1857. In the mid to late 19th century, U.S. police were still governed by mostly the communities they were serving. Because, this, because of this, corruption and political favoritism were rampant and created major problems. By the end of the century, with much, much uh, public influence, the police force became a civil service with control of the force being placed on the city and or the state. Between 1900 in 1920, the prohibition movement, as well as fears of corruption and communist uh, influence, led the need for federal and state police organizations. And that's when we started growing, right? The Federal Bureau, Bureau of Investigations, FBI, was created in 1908 to investigate antitrust and fraud cases, as well as crimes committed on government property or by government officials. <laughs> Look at us now. 
1920, the Department of Treasury created the first large federal police agency, which was in charge of enforcing prohibition. Uh, bear with me here because we have a few more to go. Again, a little bit of history. In order to deal with and prevent corruption and striking among local police forces, Pennsylvania established the first state police department in 1905. New York followed in 1917, Michigan, Colorado, West Virginia in 1919, and Massachusetts in 1920. Public confidence in the police was waning in the 20s and early 30s due to the effects of prohibition, corruption, and the frightening growth in gangs and crime. August Walmer began to elaborate professional to professionalize the police in the early 20th century. In 1916, he helped create the first university level police educational program at the University of California, Berkeley. Who knew? He also pushed for prosecution of delinquent youths, started the Uniform Crime Reports Program, which kept track of the annual national crime rate, which and helped to abolish the physical and or mental torture the police had been using in suspect interrogation. J. Edgar Hoover became the lead and the head of the FBI in 1924 and began actively trying to change the image of detectives, the Bureau, <laughs> and the police force as a whole. He made it mandatory for new agents to have formal education, nearly eliminated corruption, and almost single-handedly restored, restored public opinion of the police. A new model was adopted, which became known as the three R's. Random preventative patrols, rapid response to calls for service, and reactive criminal investigation. This model, as well as Hoover's military-based structure of the police force, became commonplace among all departments, or paramilitary. After World War II, it became the standard that police patrolled in cars. This enabled them to respond to calls for service more rapidly, as well as to provide a stronger police presence in the neighborhood. The addition of radios and police cars helped communication between police as well as response times. During the last half of the 20th century, law enforcement models stayed essentially the same, uh, say, except for a few major policy changes. These included the introduction to the right person, the right of person to suspect to have an attorney present during an interrogation, the forbidding of the use of evidence at a trial that was obtained by unlawful search and seizure, and the Miranda warnings became a mandatory precursor to arrest in 1960s. Police officers were also held to a higher standard and were expected to complete much uh, more training before the, the for joining the force. Community policing efforts also helped to close the gap between police and citizens in the 1970s. During the 1980s, community policing helped the police force become familiar with, the, and, cons with and consult with the communities they serve, which decreased hostility between the public and officers. By the 2000s, two-thirds of lo all local police departments had a community policing plan. Today, law enforcement agencies continue to make progress as advancements in technology, science, research, equipment, and training take place. With computer-based computer technology, uh, departments are becoming more centralized and information is more easily shared between them. This ensures quicker capture of suspects, better data collection, more crime prevention capabilities, and safer communities. It is impossible to predict the future of law enforcement, but one thing is for sure, all departments will continually be united in their goal to protect citizens, reduce crime, and serve their communities. Now, if anyone tells me that that's not happening, then you're full of crap because it is happening. They are, they are out there doing their thing. But you see what I read here was about organization. 
uh, more discipline, standards. And if I look at little captions here, we're talking about standards and stuff. Um, law enforcement certification and discipline. I'm on the National Conference of State Legislatures. All right. Um, licensing and certification. No national governing governing body enforces nationwide education certification standards for peace officers. Instead, all states maintain peace officer standards and training post boards or similar agencies. Many of those post boards are established under the statutory law, law and have a range of authorities and duties. Recently, New Jersey and Hawaii uh, certification, they coded police certification and post boards in state statutes. All existing post boards establish guidelines and requirements for police officer training, and most are responsible for officer certification, decertification, and continuing education. Big one. State post boards vary in, in the amount of regulatory authority they have and how active they are in exercising that authority. And again, four states, California, Hawaii, New Jersey, and Rhode Island do not decertify officers at the state level. Uh, in recent months, however, California, Illinois, New Jersey, Ohio, Michigan have proposed an occupational licensing system for police officers, including uh, procedures for officers de-licensing. Licensing. In December 2020, Massachusetts enacted the certification program as part of the police, police uh, reform bill. Um, let's see. Police officer, and then we'll scroll down a little bit, police officer discipline and decertification. Right. Uh, talks about officer discipline for professional misconduct is often handled as an internal personal matter, personnel matter at the local level, but state post boards can also have the authority to decertify officers who are convicted of criminal offenses or commit other violations. Uh, and it goes on and on. So, uh, but again, what I look at here is the history of law enforcement. Uh, I wanted to give a quick synopsis of the history because I, clearly some people need to understand where it came from, what the mission is, and it's still there. As I said at the end, the technology, et cetera, et cetera, um, and departments, thank, thankfully for, for technology, many of the crimes have been solved with the latest and greatest technology, right? Um, but going into the next phase, uh, being a police officer, right? You know, you know, a little brief history here, but then going into the police academy, we'll just start that segment. I've always asked police, uh, police officers when I was teaching at the academy, police recruits, uh, why I'd go around the room and some of the classes I, I was an instructor at, I'd start off with about maybe 60 to 80 recruits per class. And I go around the room, say, tell me, tell me who you are, your name, what you're about, and why do you want to become a police officer? And Years back, when I first started teaching at the academy, uh, students would give me anything from, I always wanted to be a police officer because my mother was a cop, my father was a cop, my sister was a cop, brother, uh, military, great background, pedigree. I always grew up to want to be a police officer, protect and serve the community. They always had that answer. And it was awesome because that was me. I wanted to be a police officer as a young kid. Because I wanted to be a superhero. I wanted to save lives, help people, do the right thing. Uh, you know, doing the right thing by not violating anybody's rights. I never did, never will. Uh, and I never did it. And no one was able to do it around me. I can tell from my tell you from my experience. I tell people all the time, those who 
rant and scream about, you know, race and all this stuff and harassment by the police. Uh, I've told people who, who out there ranting that have never been harassed by a cop ever. Uh, how can you sit here and say you harassed by a police officer or you talk about the race stuff and you've never felt what it's like to maybe be violated, maybe have a cop do something a little bit off? Because let's face it, you know, starting a segment off here, a large percentage of police officers are awesome, men and women. I always say that the highest percentage in the high 90s, awesome guys and gals. And there's a, like you've heard it before, small percentage of people in our business that are a bunch of jerk offs that shouldn't be cops. They shouldn't have a badge. It's just the truth. Um, and I'm not going to sit here and hide and justify it. Um, but at the same time, there's a large percentage of people in, in the country and in the world that are amazing people. <laughs> and there's a small percentage of people that are total jerk offs. It's just the way it is. And, and if you can't see through all that, um, then you got, maybe you gotta go see a shrink. I don't know. Anyway. Um, so anyway, but the Academy, I, I would ask recruits and they would tell me some of the greatest answers, you know, mom, dad, legacy, the whole nine. And then somewhere along the line, when the whole college degree thing started hitting the mainstream. And again, I got nothing against the college education thing and being educated. Cause you know, we always want to be learning and excelling our, our careers and our minds. Um, but somewhere along the line, when that started coming in, we started seeing college graduates coming to the academy and I'd ask questions, the same thing. Why, why are you here? Uh, why do you want to be a police officer? Yeah, et cetera, et cetera. And then the answers became, well, I got my degree and I, this was around the time where uh, the jobs are hard to, to come by, the high paying jobs, um, early 2000s, I believe it was. And they would tell me I, I can't find a job. Um, they said the police pensions and benefits uh, are some of the best in the business, you know, and it's funny because police officers, our salaries and stuff were la laughing stocks years ago, low salary, low pay, you know, the whole nine. And then somewhere along the road, um, you know, we went, went to times and our salary started growing, you know, it's not doctors pay, not, not lawyers pay. We get that, you know, obviously these centers and stuff getting rich and stuff. <laughs> Uh, off uh, taxpayer dime, but you know, we had small salaries and then they grew. So kudos to these young college people that said, you know, I want to get a job that gave me pensions, benefits, and high paying salary, you know, elevate my career and go from there. But the problem we ran across was unfortunately is the common sense factor. And I started seeing that because we had to start slowly trending in the, with the times in the academy, because again, Police academies were designed to be a disciplinary thing, a paramilitary organization, and a learning thing. Um, there was segments of criminal justice law. There was segments of motor vehicle law. There were segments of hands-on practical, um, you know, arrest, search, and seizure, path searches, handcuffing. Because again, police officer's job is mostly interactive and hands-on job, right? And that's where that's the good stuff. But what happened was there's also a discipline side, organizational side is a paramilitary side where people are standing at attention. People are, are respecting the rank and file of the Academy and, you know, uniforms looking good, uh, pressed uniforms, haircuts, groomed, uh, again, the military style. 
and you had to listen and obey orders and, and be disciplined in that fact, because in this job of ours, you have to go out there in the streets and be disciplined. Right? And that's what we were training people. But somewhere along the line, as you know, the, the yelling and screaming as a drill instructor, uh, I remember getting complaints because it went from this was the norm where we were getting in the faces of recruits and making them stress and feel the stress because they got to get past that stress to be able to deal with what's going on out there in the field. All of a sudden, I had recruits crying. I had recruits, recruits literally almost dropping to their knees crying, um, complaining that I was too violent and or you know, yelling too loud and giving them nightmares. And other instructors got the same complaints. And it was insane. It was totally insane. And uh, we were trying to adapt to this whole methodology of things of like, okay, we got to tone it down. You know, it just hit us like a ton of bricks because we were used to giving the the heavy dose of yelling, screaming, you know, dr drill instructor uh, aspects and to watch young people start quivering and crying in front of you and you, you had to find a way to, we had to find a way to kind of adapt. So we understood it's a new change. It's a whole new thing we had to do. Um, so once we started adapting to that and I started seeing that, I said, okay, we'll, we'll try to work around their emotions and, you know, their safe space, so to speak. But our concept was if you show up to, you work in a town where you had some projects, you know, maybe you worked in a city or, you know, a lot of towns have, you know, low income housing. And that's where a lot of the violent crimes take place, you know, or it could just be a, a regular town, a wealthy town, but you could have a drunk couple having a domestic. And, you know, I've seen that happen where you show up to somebody's house and they're like, yeah, get the fuck off my property, get into the cop's face. And you as the police officer have to have your wits about you, got to hold yourself together, be disciplined, and you can't hold off and knock somebody out. Um, so the academy was a forum where it was going to teach you as the new police recruit how to endure stress, how to deal with people initiating stress in your face, and you learn how to de-escalate, right? the new phrase now, but de-escalation has been around for decades. I mean, that's what we're teaching, how to de-escalate, how to teach, how to learn to control your emotions and be the professional because at the end of the day it's like the movie roadhouse we always tell recruits you know we tell cops now you know even these young cops are trying to teach you know they're already certified with their badging guns and all that good stuff um this job is nothing personal recruits nothing personal all right it's a business like the movie roadhouse you know be nice they can call you all the names in the book but just be nice patrick swayze coined right just be nice and then when something kicks off, then there's time where it's not time to be nice. You don't be nice. And that means that those are the versions of, well, if it's a deadly force encounters, you versus them, and they're not dropping the gun and they're about to pull the trigger, unfortunately, killing somebody is not nice. And that's the example of that's the time not to be nice because if they don't drop it, listen to your commands, and they pull that gun out and they're about to pull the trigger on you or somebody else, it's time not to be nice and you got to do what you got to do. And that's what we pretty much started the academy with. When I, I was a recruit in the academy, you know, I was I went through corrections, the correction side first. So I was a correction officer, so I learned a lot there. 
Then I became a police officer. So I went through the academy for the police. So two academies there. And then I had the boot camp in the Marine Corps, which helped me understand the whole philosophy of teamwork and discipline and keeping my mouth shut. So I learned a lot as a recruit, which transferred over into a police academy instructor. And unfortunately, you know, as we close this first segment out, there are certain instructors out there that are teaching police professionally. Uh, some of these people are retired cops, retired, maybe, you know, faking a pension because there are cops that have fake pensions out there. And that's just the way it is because they couldn't suck it up and do the job right or got themselves in trouble. So they ran out the door. Now they're selling their wares. But um, when it comes to doing the right thing here, ladies and gentlemen, um, you, you can't, you can't possibly think that, that, uh, those, especially the police officers listening in here, if you're listening to somebody selling you a bunch of F-bomb stuff and, you know, leadership stuff, anti-leadership stuff, then you're going to, you're going to the wrong training, you know, cause one day you're going to be in that leadership position. I mean, and again, going back to the Academy, that's where they, we built structures. I was part part of the structure of squad leaders and team leaders and class leaders. Uh, that's how the the whole academy structure built a team network. And, and did you see the attitudes of recruits that were not team players within that group? And our, especially my my academy group, yeah, there were people that were just outsiders and they were just a bunch of you know I call them brats. They didn't want to listen to anything, and then they got themselves in trouble. Some lost their jobs, you know. Some cops lose their jobs. And you can see the ones that lose their jobs, they blame everybody else for stupid shit they've done. Hey, man, that's on you. You, you did stupid shit. But the academy has taught you something. Again, and going back to some of these these uh, wild coyote training groups that are out there, to sit there and tell, sell this wherever. When I was at the academy, I didn't learn one thing. Well, then that's why you're an asshole. That's why you're not a cop anymore. Because how could you tell people that and then sell that to these new cops. I didn't learn nothing either. You always learn something in an academy, in a good class, shitty class. You're always learning something. We're always learning something. That's just the nature of the beast. And for the latest statement to, to hear to people saying, I didn't learn anything, you did. You learn how to stand at attention. You learn how to say yes, sir, and show respect. No, sir. Yes, ma'am. No, man. You learn how to clean your shoes and brush your teeth and cut your hair and, and iron your uniforms and, and give respect to other people. And then, oh, there, there's instructors there. It may be an instructor that has been sitting behind a desk since 2005. Might have been teaching at the academy, but maybe if you look back at their history, that cop, male, female, may have locked up a lot of bad people, may have done some great things, saved a lot of lives. And now they earned that right to be at that academy desk and teaching you how to handcuff or teaching you how to search a car. But the problem is sometimes I feel that today's society of youngsters, they want the now. Yet you got somebody who's not a cop who in some of these companies that are running their mouth instead of just being professional, acting like they've been there, done that. When reality is we know some of these companies and some of these people and the reputations of their background, they got themselves in trouble and now they're spewing out this nonsense. We're trying to tell you, police officers, young and old, um, use common sense out there 
Um, those who want to be a police officer, the academies are designed to structure you to get ready to the next phase. So once you complete the academy and learn the discipline aspect and the basic recruit training stuff, and yes, can some of the programs be updated? Yeah, of course. But case law, criminal justice, that stuff has always been there. But then once you graduate and you earn your certificate, then you go to your police department and it's up to the police department to train you, make you better. So there. So anyway, that's that's part one uh, introduction to the history of law enforcement and uh, a little bit about the academy world. Um, part two, we're going to continue on going more into the academy, some of the fun stuff and then becoming a police officer on the street, the graduation into the street life, new cop versus old cop, all that good stuff. So again, um, hopefully you got something out of this first little portion of our podcast and I'm looking forward to the next one. So you have yourself a good night, a good day, stay safe out there. And uh, as we always say, don't get tossed, uh, watch your six.